SDRs and our sales development leadership, we're starting to share more and more practices. If you are a marketer, for example, or if you're in our channel or any other department outside of sales development and sales, it's a blast. And it gets everybody focused on, okay, you need X pipeline generated for each segment. And we could be doing better in topping off the respective pipelines. So here's your chance to contribute. And if you fall on your face, the next prospecting day is four weeks from now. So learn from this and you know really prepare for the next one. And you'd be surprised what you can win and how many people are gonna benefit from your hard work and preparation. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was my friend, Ralph Barcy. He's the Vice President of Global Inside Sales at Trey.io, and he's, I'll admit, one of my favorite people in the sales universe. As always, when Ralph and I get together, we talk about a lot of things in addition to sales. In this episode, we start out talking about Ralph's music career, as in rock and roll music. His band, named Segway, has been together for 30 years. In the past, they toured, and they still get together, play gigs. I watched some of the videos online. They're really good. And they're getting ready to record a brand new album. So we talk about that. And I don't have any conversation with Ralph without talking about books. Because Ralph, one of the few people I know, reads as much as I do. And he always has some really interesting book recommendations. So he shares those. I share a few of my own recommendations as well. And then we segue, hopefully you caught that, into talking about sales. And Ralph shares some of his management processes. We talk about uh, his Team Tuesdays, where someone from within the company, every week someone from within the company comes and shares what they do, uh, which I think is a great acumen builder for sellers. Uh, He talks about prospecting day a day during which most business units contribute to the pipeline. That's kind of cool, company-wide prospecting. And Ralph shares his processes for effective communications, how he uses his weekly updates to manage up and down the chain with clear, precise, consistent communications. So we'll get into this and much, much more. Now, before we get to Ralph, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Ralph, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Andy. It's always great to be here. So we're trying to count, I think, fourth or fifth appearance. As I said, if you do five, you get the blazer. So uh, just like on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> except the blazer is one of mine that I'm not using anymore coming out of my closet. <laughs> so no big well, deal. You don't happen to be a 40 regular, do you? I actually am, yeah. So depending on there the cut, either 39 or 40 regular. So I'm sure it'll fit. Yeah, it'll fit like a glove. Can't there wait. you go. There you go. So you've had... Uh, You've had uh, some big news. I mean, first of all, you said you celebrated 24 years of marriage this summer. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And what's your wife's name? Uh, my wife, my wife's name is Catherine. Uh, her nickname, however, is Kathay. Kathay? Like Kathay? That's like, right. Only two long A's, Kathay. Kathay. Interesting. Now, where does that come from? Uh, it originates in Hungary slash Austria, where oh. her father grew up. And uh, instead of saying Kathy, they say Kathe. It's spelled K-A-T-H-E. There are no accents over any of the right. letters. And uh, her full name's Catherine. Interesting. So my wife's my wife's father grew up in Hungary. Okay. Uh, as well, um, his parents sent him to the U.S. in 1938. 
to avoid the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's just did her you know, 23 and me or whatever. And surprise, she's half Hungarian. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Funny how that turns out. Yeah, right. That's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Mother's, yeah. Some, you know, generic waspish type thing. And, and dad was, uh, yeah, Ashkenazi Jew from Hungary. So, um, wow. Well, I have yet to meet another KJ, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, which makes my wife even more unique and special. Very much so. Very much That's so. Right. And yeah, the big news for me was that, and this is this was news altogether. I I if you had told me before, I apologize for not keeping mine, but you're a member of a rock band that's been around for <laughs> what 30 years yeah yes yeah, so for some time now we started in uh, 1994 almost 30 yeah. years yeah almost 30 years it's a uh, comprised of high school and college buddies of mine and it's just straight ahead rock and roll yeah good stuff too i was listening to some of the tracks uh the band's called segway yes thank and, you Andy. and uh and you're the drummer i am and I, if I saw correctly in an old video, the video was so old, you actually had hair. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> our, our heyday was a good 20 years ago. Uh, so you, you're exactly right. And, and what a head of hair it was. It was like a lion's mane at one point. Yes, yes. <laughs> you're hiding it with a baseball cap and so or a trucker cap. But uh, yeah. it was like out the back, I think. I was like, holy cow, that's Ralph. Yeah, good times, man. <laughs> and so... Do you guys still gig? I mean, you. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's not much beyond uh, a house party, you know, or some get together uh, in a cul-de-sac these days. You know, we're all getting up there, uh, and you know, oh come uh, on, well, you're a young uh, man. Eh, I know it's all mental, right? But yeah, uh, there's been a lot of us traveling over the last several years. This is obviously pre-COVID, which has just kept us from any consistency in rehearsing or performing. Uh, our heyday was really, you know, 96 through 2000. We were just gigging like crazy, doing 50 to 60 shows a year, all in California, Northern California and Southern California. Uh, managed to release a couple records that, you know, were on iTunes and Spotify, et cetera. But, but all that said, we're trying to, um, you know, dust off the instruments and get back into the studio to record a new record. And so, you would think we're in our mid twenties again. You know, <laughs> we're all everybody's fired up about it. Well, understandably so. I mean, what a rush to be able to go out and perform in front of people like that. I mean, and you guys, you said when you're heydays, I guess I think this was on your website or somewhere I was finding online. It's like you guys had opening acts oh, for yeah. you. Oh yeah, it was it was the whole nine yards. Yeah, we weren't messing around, and I swear to you, there was a there was a window there where I thought that's what I was going to do for a living. Right. Uh, but but it's funny we're talking about Kate because she was the one who was like, "Uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be on a tour bus all 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 year going from gig to gig." Uh, no. So, well, how big of venues did you play? Uh, most we would play to is maybe six to 800 people. That's still pretty big size. Oh, Hey, we'll take that, you know, on a Thursday night doing a, you know, 90 minute to two hour set. Uh, it was a blast. We loved it. Wow. That's a lot of people. I was thinking like, you know, back in the old San Francisco, like, you know, great American music hall or one of those places, but they're smaller than that. I mean, 
that's a yeah. big that's a big a big room. Yeah, yeah, we we've played to some pretty good crowds, and then of course on the other end of the spectrum, we've played to a crowd of three before as well. It kind of goes <laughs> with the territory. <laughs> All right, so. When you were you know at your heyday and you're dealing with the promoters, you know, do you have any like crazy demands you guys placed on you had in your contract, like you know, no blue M and M's or something like that backstage? Yeah, no, we were pre- we were so stoked to even get the gig that we were very cordial and accommodating, <laughs> probably <laughs> more than we needed to be. But uh, it's funny you bring up the M and M's because I'm. I'm listening to Running with the Devil right now by Noel Monk about mm-hmm. the whole Van Halen story. Right. Because I grew up a, a total Van Halen nerd, especially the David Lee Roth era. So yeah, I me mean, too. As you know, that was that was one of the criterion in their uh, in their rider for backstage. No brown M and M's, which is an awesome story too. Just to make sure that you know promoters and managers were paying attention to the detail to what was in the contract. Absolutely, That's right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, poor Eddie just passed away what, a couple of weeks ago now. Yeah, one of my favorites of all time. So I've been kind of, you know, revisiting and reliving uh, my love for that band in those early days. And, you know, it's just, it's been an, a very fun book to listen to. I'm plowing through it. I'm, they just, boy, they, they were true rock stars. Yeah, I'll have to... Um... I have to take a look at that because I I like Van Halen as well, and I for a long time, even though it was Sammy Hagar variety, but you know, fifty one fifty is such a great, great, great record, great yeah. record. I saw that tour; it was great. I'm a huge Sammy Hagar fan, but I prefer I prefer his solo work. Uh, there's a couple gems that he performed with Van Halen, of course, but I'm just a, a bigger fan of uh, the David Lee Roth Van Halen. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. How are you, Andy? What's the latest? Uh, yeah, not much. We're, we're keeping on, keeping on. Good. You know, more great conversations on the show with people like yourself. And uh, we were, you know, you sort of got into a little book topic because we don't talk unless we talk about books. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about that. <clears throat> and do you have another book you're reading? Yeah. Your Music and People by Derek Sivers. So Derek, about Derek that. Sivers, yeah, Sivers, Derek Sivers. Okay. Uh, been a longtime fan of Derek Sivers uh, since first hearing him on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Derek uh, is most known for uh, starting and leading CD Baby. So he's a he's a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to sell his own music online. Uh, turns out he, he figured out a, a, an efficient way of doing that enough to attract other musicians who wanted him to sell their stuff as well. And long story short, he ended up, you know, uh, really blowing up that company in a good way, uh, ended up selling it for tens of millions of dollars, uh, most of which he contributed right back to uh, music music schools and hmm. music, music programs uh, all over the planet and some other cool charities. And I've just been a huge fan of his writing uh, for a long time. And uh, he, he just, he published and then republished a book called your music and people, the one you just mentioned. I just plowed through that as well and uh, highly recommend it. It's, it's essentially, it's almost like a, how to win friends and influence people approach, but it's to, it's, it's written for musicians, but obviously it applies to anyone and everyone. Yeah. And it's not, very easy to find as I was researching it. I think you basically have to buy it from his website. 
Correct. Yeah, you have to buy it from his website. His website is uh, it's s i v e dot r s. Pretty simple and straightforward. And right yeah. on that homepage, you're going to find that book, and you can read it digitally for free, or you could buy a hard copy from him. Uh, but what's unique about his style is literally every chapter actually has a footnote to it, which is a URL where you can go and read that chapter online. He's a big believer of showing your work. Uh, right. He he touts the book by Austin Cleon of the same title. It just feels like, look, you know, if you're producing and contributing, it it's really not tangible unless it's tangible, unless we can see it online. And again, you and I have talked about this. You're leaving behind that trail of breadcrumbs so people right. can pick up, you know, what you've been putting down. And I, I've, I've just always loved that style. Interesting. Yeah, no, definitely gonna check that one out certainly the Noel monk as well um oh man both great both great excellent excellent um okay well i've been ah, i've been reading business books mostly <laughs> yeah are you, re- are you are you into a new one right now well i mean you know for this show i read a lot of books um sure yeah just read uh interesting book by mike smirklow who's a vc um Based out of Texas, uh, he had run a company called Service Source for years um, in the Bay Area uh, called Mr. Monkey and Me about self-doubt and how Ooh. entrepreneurs can can uh, he shares his mindset. He actually calls it uh, share or shape, excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, interesting read. He's got a great voice and and. Uh, a lot that applies directly to sales too, in terms of being authentic and seeking help when you need it, being vulnerable enough to seek help and lessons that less that apply to entrepreneurs or in start mode or sales salespeople or sales leaders even. That's beautiful. I love that, you know, the, those those traits and those reminders always come to the surface over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, help people out, be a good person, be serve, a good person. you know, know that you've got resources out there to help you out if you need it. You don't have to go it alone, et cetera, et cetera. I love that. Yeah. I, yeah. I find myself more and more when I, you know, see things that are going on in the world, even outside of, of business. And yeah, I've, that's how I judge people now. It's like good person or not good person. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, just some basics, right? That, that, yeah. yeah, you're there to help, you're there to serve, you're there to, yeah, have empathy and about other people. It's just like, yeah, for me, it's I, my world is, yeah, you know, as I get older, world's getting simpler. Good people, not good person. Yeah, uh, and it's pretty black and white sometimes, <laughs> isn't it? It's pretty black and white. Uh, <laughs> the other book I'm going back into, which I've, I first went through a little while ago, and then is the book uh, Nudge by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein. Oh, I've heard of it, haven't read it. Subtitle being Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. And and I decided to go back to it because I'd heard it um, mentioned on a podcast. Um, they're doing a start with this service called Tally, which is about helping people make better financial decisions okay. and improve their credit scores and so on. And But in the book, they have this really, uh, really interesting concept about uh, – they they talk about in the context of helping people to sort of learn new decision habits in terms nice. of how do you frame choices for people. But it, I think it really, really struck by it because I think it applies to sales as well as this concept they call a choice architect. Okay. So if you think of yourself as a seller, 
Yeah, I, I, I divide sales into two parts. The first part is the customer is making a choice about how they want to solve their problem. And the second part is who they're going to solve the problem with, mm-hmm. which vendor. Mm-hmm. And so this, there's been a lot of research done about decision-making. Uh, Paul Nutt, who's this, uh, I think he was Ohio State University professor, has written about this. Is, he says, you know, people always make a choice before they make a decision. The choice being, how am I going to solve this problem? You know, they evaluate, they create alternatives, they choose the option that they want to pursue, and then they make a decision about how to, how to go forward with it. And this idea of as sales is that's really what you're doing, is you're helping your customer make a choice about how they're going to solve the problem. And that's if you right. do that, and in that process, they don't really think about it in terms of, well, what's the brand, who's the company, and so on. I'm, I'm focused on how am I going to solve my problem? And, um, and so I think this idea of a choice architect is really an interesting construct to think about in a sales context because it's, that's really what you're doing. Is you're, you're structuring your interactions in such a way to be able to influence the choice the buyer makes. I love this. And I also love that term. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've been thinking, thinking a lot about that. So that's, that's why I was diving back into that book. Um, that's a good one. I'm going to have to check that out. And, and it, yeah, hundred percent applies to sales. You know, mm. we, as salespeople have to be guides or Sherpas, trusted advisors. And, you know, we have to help our prospects and customers arrive at the answer. Yeah. And hopefully the answer is you or some version of you. Correct. Yeah, I mean, everybody's right. experienced this, this in sales is, you know, they're working, they think they're working the account and the customer says, okay, well, here's our final spec. This is what we want people to bid on. And it's like, oh, well, that's got my competitor written all over it. <laughs> yeah, the competitor's in column A, not me. That's yeah. not good. And the competitor was the choice architect. You weren't. <laughs> that's right. So you were too busy trying to persuade the customer to buy your product and they weren't at that point yet. They were still making their yep. choice. Thinking about yourself. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Nudge. Nudge. Okay. And then, yeah, I've always got a detective book or a mystery book or something going on at the same time. So, new book for people who haven't read the series. If you're into series like I am, uh, Ian Rankin is a British author, uh, Scottish author maybe, uh, written the series about a detective named John Rebus, a Scottish detective. Maybe 25, 26 books in the series. Read them all. This is his latest one. Wow. It's sort of like the Scottish version of the Bosch novels by Michael Connolly. So if you've ever read any of those, which are fantastic as well. Uh, Andy, what's, uh, pardon the interruption, what's this latest one called? A Song for Dark Times. But if people haven't read any of the John Rebus mysteries, start at the beginning, read through them. That's yeah. You you grow with the cust- with the uh, with with the protagonist, right? Right. Uh, in the latest one, he's retired, just like the Bosch novels. Harry Bosch is retired now and working, you know, cold cases. Uh, pretty kind of similar. So, like you, always got three or four going at the same time. Yep, you got to. Well, you piqued my interest. Now, uh, I, I usually veer away from fiction, but I've gotten a lot of flack for doing that from. Some of my really good friends who are avid readers, you know, Barcy, you've got to check out, you know, like this spy novel. Yeah, or, well, I, <laughs> I will qualify that by saying my wife reads very serious fiction, yeah, like things mm. on the bestseller list, and she's an avid reader as well. And yeah, I'm not, I have to admit, I'm not doing that. I'm, I love my, I love series. Like I said, I love to fall in love with a character and read everything the author's written about them. And then now I've got like 
probably 15 series that I, you know, waiting for the new book to come out in the series that I track. So cool. Now, do you think these books are partially ghost written or do you think no, 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 these Ian's are, these, full throttle? Yeah. These guys are serious, serious authors. This is not like, uh, Oh, what's that one guy that's got a partner that's co-writing all of his books now? No. Yeah. Stay away from those. It, James Patterson. It's not Patterson. Yeah. James yeah, Patterson. Patterson. Yeah. Never been a big fan of that. So <laughs> he does a pretty good master class, by the way. I'm sure. I'm sure. Really good. Yeah, sure. Really he knows. Solid. Yeah. I'm sure he's, it's just, yeah, his book's never been. I've tried him, just not for me. But uh, yeah. yeah, of course, I'll probably get hate mail on that, but whatever. So let's whatever. talk Let's talk some work. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. All right. Now, you do something called Team Tuesdays. Now, what is that? I do, yes. Yeah. So um, Team Tuesdays uh, are designed, at least at, at Trey, where I am, specifically for our sales development team. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of Team Tuesdays you know, ultimately to help SDRs connect the dots, uh, understanding, you know, how the company is comprised. If you're mm-hmm. going to look under the hood uh, at the engine of the company, you get a much better understanding of each piece of the puzzle. Right. And so every Tuesday, a representative from a different business unit across the company will speak during the lunch hour from 12 to 1 and talk to them about, you know, the, that function in particular. And it you know primarily helps our SDRs get an understanding, like I said, of how to connect the dots in terms of how our company works. But as you know, this is immediately going to translate to the conversations they're having with our prospects. Yep. That way, they're familiar with you know what systemic impact there could be if this prospect leverages our offering or not to various business units across their enterprise. Yep, and they could speak with you know the SDRs can speak with certainty and knowledge. Because you know they've been immersed in our team Tuesdays. No, I love it. I I, I remember back early in my career. Uh, I think it was one of the first, uh, maybe not the first startup, but maybe the second startup I'd, I'd been with as the VP of Sales. Yeah, taking me around, meeting everybody in the company, in in an instructional way, right? Yeah, you know, this is what this is what this person does. This is what their role is, and I you know develop relationships. And this, I sort of carried that on because I think so valuable not just for building a team structure which i think is crucial from a cultural standpoint but yeah if somebody asks a salesperson you know how does your company make money they could answer that's right that's right i learned about it i was first exposed to team tuesday at ServiceNow. uh the then cmo dan rogers had introduced the marketing team mm-hmm. to team tuesdays but it was a large enough team where we had to hear from different facets of just marketing. Uh, and I, I basically took that concept into my role at Trey, uh, but obviously centered it on sales development and all the different business units across the company because we're, you know, we're a fraction of the size of ServiceNow. Sure. Uh, so we're able to do it, able to pull it off. And it's just a great, it, it also breeds that learning culture. Right. You know, because we have the, what we ask the SDRs to, you know, arrive prepared, have some great open-ended questions mm-hmm. where you can ask the, the speakers or presenters uh, to go a little deeper here or there. And everybody learns as a result. Of course, we record it, chronicle it, catalog it for, uh, you know, reference, uh, as well as for onboarding of new hires, uh, people from other business units are catching wind of it and uh, asking if they could participate, but also 
they're pulling from our now online repository of recordings to learn for themselves. So everybody's winning. No, I love it. I mean, I think that that also gives sales an appreciation of the fact that everybody contributes to their success. Exactly. And what's fun is, you know, one team or presenter, of course, wants to one up the last one who went, oh, is that what, uh, is that what product marketing was talking to you about last week? <laughs> well, here's what we're doing in finance. Check right. this out. Right. You know, and that's super fun too. Well, I just always remember a story, uh, one well, startup, but they, we had a little mature at that point. But uh, the CEO of one of our largest clients was showed up, and um, we weren't really sure. It's pretty, pretty obscure in his messaging about what he wanted to talk about. So he shows up in the lobby of the building, and it's myself who is running this division and and CEO, and it's like, well. Yeah, Paul, what, what can we help you with? <laughs> and and he said, I want to talk to Eileen. And I okay. said, Eileen and customer support? Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> okay. And this guy's the you know, CEO of like a $500 million company. Yeah. I said, sure. So we walk upstairs and we walk through the cubicles and we find Eileen. And we said, you know, Eileen, here's, here's Paul. And Paul turns to the CEO and me and says, just want to let you know, She's why we buy from your company. Wow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was you know, fabulous, fabulous lesson. It's like, yeah, we obviously weren't paying enough attention to the account. That's, that's uh, right. Eileen was keeping us in the game <laughs> and was uh, probably insufficiently appreciated for that. Yeah. And yeah, it was a real eye-opener. It yeah. was hanging on by a thread. Yeah, but and, it, was, uh, it was like, yeah. okay, that's when I said, okay, we got to get more involved with the entire company and so on. It's just, yeah, such a value on that. All right, so then prospecting day. You have Team Tuesdays, now you have prospecting day. Yeah, another uh, awesome event uh, that I borrowed from my days at ServiceNow. This one was introduced by uh, one of the marketing executives named Carolyn Cox. She brought prospecting day into service now, and I've used it at Trey as well. This is really cool where we pin a day a month or a day a quarter where any and all teams that can contribute to generating pipeline contribute. And it's, you know, deep focus for one, one dedicated, committed day where all you're doing is, you know, pinging your network for potential referrals. Mm -hmm. You're phoning dormant leads. You're talking to closed lost opportunities from six months ago, et cetera. And you're breaking up the day into rounds. You're, you know, you've got serious competition going on throughout the day internally, killer awards and prizes for winning teams, winning individuals. And it runs the gamut, it, you know, largest opportunity, um, you know, first meeting in an existing customer, only a different business unit. It goes on and on, uh, but it's super fun. Now, do you create cross-discipline teams that work together or is it? We do indeed. Yeah, we do indeed. So uh, this last prospecting day that we hosted at Trey, each of the teams was led by a sales development rep. And there were maybe six mm -hmm. people representing different teams, different right. business units on each respective team. So uh, a lot of the teams that aren't, you know, typically on phones or reaching out to prospects are wondering, you know, from a tactical perspective, okay, how do I invest this day? 
And so our SDRs and our sales development leadership, uh, we're starting to share more and more practices. If you are a marketer, for example, or if you're in uh, you know, our channel or any other department outside of sales development and sales, it, it's a blast. Oh, and it gets it. everybody gets everybody focused on, okay, you need, you know, X pipeline generated for each segment. And uh, we could be doing better uh, in topping off the respective pipelines. So here's your chance to contribute. And if you fall on your face, the next prospecting day is four weeks from now. So uh, learn from this and, you know, really prepare for the next one. And uh, you'd be surprised what you can win and, and uh, how many people are going to benefit from your hard work and preparation. No, I love it. Absolutely love it. And I think it also, awesome. also builds empathy for within other departments for really how hard it is yeah. to sell, especially for you know, the SDRs. The job SDRs do is thankless <laughs> in many respects. Thank and, you. You're correct. And, <laughs> it is thankless. And, um, yeah, to have the rest of the company appreciate just the effort and the part of themselves they have to invest in that job every day, I think is really important. That's right. Yeah, that's um, that's also something that we've seen. And of course, that's not the the, the primary aim sure. of it, but uh, that's that's some of the the goodness that comes from it. And of course, I'm partial. Sure. You know, I'm going to argue all day long that you know the sales development reps' work is the toughest or among the toughest gig in the house. Yeah. Well, it's very hard to argue with that. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough work. I mean, when I started my career and I've had this conversation <clears throat> with other people on the show is, yeah, I had to go out in order to be trained to sell big computer systems, which is what I was hired to do. I had to go out and sell a bunch of small stuff first, uh, which required a ton of prospecting, you know, in the East Bay area. I'm like, Went from Fremont to Fairfield was my territory. Wow! Yeah, find a find a business park, park the car, and go troll for the day. Um, yeah, door to door, sure. It was like I wanted to get through that period as fast <laughs> as I possibly could. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with that long corridor. That's my neck of the woods. But also with that that approach, you know, I come from the old school and used to do that as well uh, in the healthcare industry. So. Sometimes I was walking into full-blown hospitals, going right up to the receptionist, you know, trying to get a meeting right then and there mm-hmm. with uh, certain executives, and that was no easy feat. It worked every now and then, but it wasn't fun. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it was never fun. And yeah, I was always surprised when, when, when I got a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Oh, are you sure? Okay. Yeah. Well, I I have told the stories. Yeah, I went into this one company they were a fairly large home builder uh in the bay area and and i cold called the the ceo this was actually I was starting selling computers at that point because construction mm-hmm. industry was sort of gonna be my patch and i asked for the ceo and really i almost started walking out the door <laughs> and and the reception says oh well he'll be right out <laughs> They're like, what? What? I'm <laughs> one sorry. Of those, one of those things are like, no, don't be there. Don't be there. Don't be there. <laughs> and and all of a sudden you're on, Paul. Let's go. Right. And so he he comes out and he's this very sort of old school, very nicely dressed, you know, slacks and expensive golf sweater and so on. And and uh, takes me into his office and his desk is about the size of an aircraft carrier, but it was <laughs> completely clean on top. And um 
He says, so what can I do for you? And like any newly trained sales rep, I launch into my spiel. And he listens for just a few seconds, holds up his hands, or one hand, you know, like stop. I said, okay. He opens his top right hand dress drawer and pulls out the stack of business cards like two inches high. <laughs> he takes it, spreads them out on the his desk or like a deck of cards. And I can see all my competitors as well as probably everybody who had worked in my branch office in Oakland in the last five years before that. Yeah. And he said, these are all the computer salespeople that have called on me on the last year. And I haven't bought from any of them. So why should I buy from you? Oh, boy. <laughs> How'd but, you answer? Well, I, pretty honestly, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he wasn't talking about why should he buy from my company. He was talking about why should he buy from me. From you. And I was extremely fortunate because I surf. That's my default thing is just say, I don't know. Um, is this guy sort of mentored me a little bit. And took about a year, but I got an order from him. <laughs> but yep. but that's why I talk about you can learn how to sell from your customers. And this was one of several instances in my that point in my career where I learned from from my customers. Uh, but yeah, sometimes if you don't ask to meet with people, you're never gonna meet with them. That's true. And and you're right about the customers. I know you and I have talked about this before, even stack ranking some of the primary sources. Uh, that can enable you to to sell better. And yeah. number one, I think on both our lists was customers. It's Pretty a no much. Brainer. Yeah. I mean, I, <clears throat> if, yeah, we more, if we had more time, answer. I could tell all sorts of stories about that. Yeah. Same here. I've been walked out of stores before. Oh, yeah. You know, that's Thrown not up. fun. Thrown yeah. Up. Just next thing I knew, I was standing on the sidewalk with the prospect and they're like, yeah, have a great day, bud. All right. Thanks. <laughs> well, my, my best one was, was, uh, selling to a, a large public company. It was in the Washington DC area where we we're doing a, um, custom development for them of a communication system. And, um, yeah, we were, they had said, yeah, we're going, we're going with you. We were, I went out to negotiate the contract with the guy that, uh, was part of my team. And we've been, yeah, we've been there like, I guess it was the end of the first day and we were making some pretty big progress. And this was, yeah, like a $4 million deal. This was in today's dollars, like a $12 million deal. Mm-hmm. And, no and, um, I get a call. And not this pre-cell phone. So a secretary comes in and says, uh, yeah, call for you, Mr. Paul. So great. Took it in the private room. And it was one of the co-founders of the company and our CEO. And they said, how are things going? I said, pretty good. We're making good progress. I think, you know, we'll wrap this up tomorrow. They said, oh, well, that's great. But we've got a little bit of a problem. <laughs> oh, oh, really? What's that? Well, you know, we, we had sort of a spreadsheet error when we were doing the quote. <laughs> and the deal was they're going to pay us you know a million plus dollars to develop the product and then buy the product from us is uh yeah we need to basically double our price so that we don't lose money on the deal oh my goodness <laughs> double like, it yeah in essence and um not just on the development but also on the production 
production was like a 50% increase, but the double on development. And so I had to go out and tell this guy, who was a senior VP of a publicly traded, large publicly traded company, that, uh, yeah, I've got you know, some bad news. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Price is 2x now, sir. Yeah. So basically, security sort of walked us out the door. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Oh no, Here's we, the door. I, I got the deal. <laughs> we, I got the deal. I didn't. It took a couple more days, longer than I thought it was going to. But uh, once I got the guy peeled off the ceiling, and <laughs> uh, yeah, full transparency. Here's what. Here's what the mistake was. Here's you know. Here's here's the, here's the story. Um, and no one in the home office was any help at all. I was like, right. can I get the CEO on the phone? No. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we got it. That's not, I've been, uh, I've been, it. I've been walked out of lots of offices in the past. Oh yeah. We can go for days on that stuff. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the great negotiation stories. Um, so fun, but yeah, we had demonstrated Tremendous value. The business it didn't fundamentally they were gonna make so much money off it, the didn't fundamentally change the business case for them. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, yeah, it did. And the big thing was the seat the senior VP was embarrassed more than anything because he was gonna have to go back to his, you know, to the board or whoever approved this executive committee and ask for more money. Sure. You've got a reputation to preserve. You exactly. Know? Yeah. And uh you know, we put a dent in that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh well, wow. Whatever. You know. Well, sort of speaking of which, so last thing I wanted to cover is you talked about how to help companies prepare for a catalyst event, you know, for startups, whether it's an IPO, an acquisition, oh, yeah, investment. Yeah. So so what was on your mind there? Sure. You know, I talk about that a lot internally, especially when you know you're on a certain I don't know, stage of the maturity cycle mm-hmm. of the company, you know, uh, you're, you're living for this catalyst event to occur. And yes. like you said, it could be, you could be going to the public market, you could be acquired, you could be acquiring a company. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a number of different options as we know. And so, uh, you know, I'm typically sharing internally with those who want to listen to me that, you know, we have to prepare for this catalyst event, this day of judgment or scrutiny that's going to come. Uh, and I always liken it to, you know, a, a group of investors or let's say shareholders parachute in, assess our battlefield. And let's just say I'm leading sales development. They might look at me and go, hey, Barcy, let's let's take a look at your blueprint for how you're running this ship. Mm-hmm. And, and are you running a tight ship? And so I hand over this big, thick manual they start flipping through pages, and I want to make sure that they're impressed that my leaders and I are running a buttoned-up operation. And so therein lies the approach of working more on the business than in the business from a leadership standpoint. And then you know, for the, uh, the individual contributors on our team, it's a matter of running their business within their business, you know, their business within the business. Right. Uh, so that they're adhering to complying with processes that we have in place. They understand the strategy and can articulate it if asked. You know, they understand that our objective is to drive, for example, the revenue pipeline as well as the talent pipeline. So this is what they're doing to uh, prepare, you know, living and working by our standards of excellence. And uh, that way, the investors, shareholders, parties, 
that B are thumbing through this manual going, all right, this one's good to go. Next department. Let's go check out mm-hmm. this one down mm-hmm. the hall. So I'm always working towards that catalyst event to take place. And, you know, Andy, whether it happens or not, the point is, is that it's, it makes sure that we're buttoned up in what we're doing. Yeah. And I've worked through that at companies too, where, where we had very specific uh, opportunities that we had identified as necessities to have in place before the uh, the catalyst event in order mm-hmm. to really to get a valuation that we wanted um, right. so yeah I, I yeah very fond memories of negotiating deals knowing if we don't get this yeah we're not gonna get the valuation we want and the catalyst event's not going to happen exactly and so when you have you know as you know for the most part sales development reps in particular they're they're generally new to their professional careers. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, they're generally new to sales. Right. And so it's um, it's important to coach and teach on this very topic because what happens is you start to drive that collective effort. You know, you really yep. get true teamwork and camaraderie going in a good, good way. And you start to build real healthy momentum because everybody gets that, hey, this catalyst event could happen at any moment. Right. You know, we got to be buttoned up and uh, I just... I, I like when we're all flying in formation like that. That's a great expression. Yeah, flying in formation. I love it. Well, good. Well, Ralph, uh, as always, a pleasure. We cover oh, a lot of territory. Same here, Andy. Love talking with you. Well, well, we'll do this on a regular basis. We've been doing it on a regular basis recently. We have, yeah. If this is number four or five, yeah. why stop now? I know, but it's like been like three this year. I mean, it's <laughs> the pandemic has brought out the best in Ralph Barsi. <laughs> well, let's keep the train rolling. I look we'll, forward to the next we'll visit. All right. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this program. And I want to thank my friend, Ralph Barcy, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>